Merry Christmas. Almost. Almost. Are you ready? <laughs> you better be. Yeah, you'll be in trouble if you're not. Well, it is a tremendous honor for us to have you join us for this part of your Christmas celebration. And that is especially true if you're a visitor and you've never been here before. It takes some courage to be willing to come out and visit a church that you perhaps have never been to before. And we're just delighted to have you here. We hope you'll get some coffee, some hot chocolate, uh, something, you know, anything just to make you feel welcome. We're glad that you're here with us. Um, I want to talk this afternoon about a single verse in the Christmas story and actually about one single very important word in that verse. Uh, It was actually a promise made by the prophet Isaiah about 700 years before Jesus was born or before that first Christmas. And Matthew quotes Isaiah in his account of Jesus' birth in his gospel, the gospel of Matthew. And this is what we read there. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And of course, that's Jesus Matthew's talking about or Isaiah was talking about. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the little word that I want to talk about is that word with. The word with. God with us. It's so interesting. It's not God above us, you know, out there, up there. It's not God even all around us, but it is God with us. This is actually quite important because from the earliest of days of our recollection, even when all of us were just children, we began pretty early on to understand that part of being alive and part of being a human being is a certain amount of aloneness or loneliness in our lives. Nowadays, nobody, of course, wants to be alone. More specifically, nobody wants to be lonely. But the truth is, all of us are at times. When we were little, we dreaded being the kid, you know, who would go into the school cafeteria and there's a table there to sit. And when you sit down, nobody else comes to sit by you. You're all by yourself. You're alone. You can feel that. That's kind of hurtful. There's a movie. Some of you will remember this uh, called Forrest Gump, right? Many great scenes in this movie. Uh, Forrest is a little boy, he gets on the bus and he's looking for a seat on the bus and nobody wants to let Forrest sit by him. Everybody says, you know, this seat is taken, you can't sit by me. And wow, in that moment, in that movie, you kind of feel his pain. Uh, you, You feel his aloneness and the rejection and the hurt of that. And all of us have had some version of that that we've felt in our lives at some point in time. And all of that continues in this movie until the little girl who's also on the bus, her name is Jenny. She says, you can sit next to me. And right there in that moment, Forrest is not alone anymore. He is with someone. And for the rest of Forrest's life, if you saw the movie, you know, Jenny is like an angel to him. She can do absolutely no wrong because she's the one that broke that problem and that sense and that feeling of aloneness for him. Friends, I I want and I hope that that we can all understand this afternoon that Christmas is all about being with. In our culture, it's, it's about being with friends. It's about being with family. It's about going to holiday parties. Some of you perhaps have one of those yet this evening. 
Uh, it's sending out what used to be Christmas cards to let others that we cared about know what's happening in our lives. We don't do Christmas cards so much anymore. Now we do Facebook posts of amazing holiday experiences that will make other people feel lonely as they observe our holiday experiences. And of course, you too will feel lonely when you finally see them post their holiday experiences. For a lot of people, though, it's kind of maybe ironic and certainly sad. Uh, People who go through a loss or go through a breakup or an illness or depression, uh, People who maybe wanted to have kids but couldn't, that's a really tough thing to process. People who would long for a relationship but don't have the relationship they long for. Maybe for some reason, uh, people feel this thing of aloneness or loneliness for reasons they don't even understand. And here's the thing, here's what's ironic about all of that. Christmas, you might think, would be a time where that might vanish, but in reality, often for many, it's a time that makes those things, those feelings worse. And maybe it's that way for some of you. Sometimes we think, you know, our loneliness is something that can only get resolved or will be resolved or solved by another person. And, um, and we think that another person would be the one thing that could relieve our loneliness. And, you know, if we are still lonely at Christmas, then we think that we just haven't met that one important person yet. There's a theologian uh, who wrote a song, a a Christmas carol, that goes like this. um, I'll have a blue Christmas without you. Who wrote this? (laughs) Elvis Presley. Uh, I'll be so blue just thinking about you. Decorations of red on a green Christmas tree won't be the same, dear, if you're not here with me. That was one of his best sellers, by the way. I think partly because of this Christmas thing and its association to how we sometimes feel, which is just lonely. Now, (laughs) I think I would observe that there is a kind of loneliness that's actually much deeper than what Elvis was singing about. A loneliness, in fact, that no other mere human being can ever actually take away. You know, some of the most influential thinkers over the centuries have written about and talked about this very thing. One, in fact, a philosopher that I had to read way, way back when I was in college, a guy named uh, Jean-Paul Sartre. He observed that the reason we're lonely is that we are meaning-seeking creatures. We want meaning in our life. We have to believe there's some meaning to our existence and to what we do. But he said, we live in a meaningless world. That was his conclusion. We want meaning, but there is none, none to be had. There's a biologist and a neo-atheist by the name of Richard Dawkins, and he's written a lot of books, uh, some of them quite popular. And in expressing his thoughts around this subject, he said, the reason we're lonely is that the universe offers no design, no purpose, no hope, just blind, pitiless indifference. Wow. Well, the truth is a lot of people have concluded similar kinds of things. But I want us all to understand this afternoon that the story of Christmas is a claim that that kind of thinking is not true. Life is not that way. Christmas is a claim, in fact, that you are made by God. Christmas is a claim that God loves you, loves you enough to come from up there down to here, that God hates loneliness. One time in the Bible, 
uh, we are told God made this statement. He said, it's not good for man, for people, human beings, males, females, old, young, to be alone. That is not good. God doesn't want anybody sitting in a cafeteria all by themselves alone and feeling the pressure of that. In fact, you could argue the central theme of the whole Bible, cover to cover, is really God's desire to be with people, to have a people for himself. One Old Testament scholar took the time and made the effort to count uh, the numbers of times in the Bible where God said, I will be with you. So, so don't be afraid because I will be with you 114 times in the Old Testament. And the point is this, we don't have to go through life alone, let alone feeling lonely. God gives us all these pictures, in fact, of his presence with his people. One of the biggest, one of the clearest, one of the most palpable pictures in the Old Testament is the way God instructed Israel to build him a temple. You know, that seems like religion being done, but actually it was God wanting relationship with Israel. Part of what that was all about was the temple was the place where it would symbolize where God was going to dwell right smack dab in the midst of them. And God instructed them that when you pray towards me in my temple, I, I will listen and I will answer your prayers. And I will be with you as I dwell in the temple that's right there in your midst. I will be with you to receive your worship. I will be with you to give your guidance. I will be with you to give you strength, to give you wisdom, to give you what you need to live and to flourish and to have a relationship with me. That's what God was up to. That's what God was doing. But it's almost like all of that was not enough to satisfy God. And so finally he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go from up here, up there, heaven, down to earth. And I will be with those people myself. I will live and move and do life among them. And that's exactly what God did. And that is Jesus. That is Christmas, understand. Christmas is when the biggest miracle of all is also the smallest. God causes all of himself, all of his presence, all of his power, all of his majesty to be present in one fragile, frail, little human body, the body of Jesus. God comes to earth. As I said up there, comes down here. God is going to be with people. Starting, of course, with Mary and the family that she was beginning. Because you see, Jesus is Emmanuel. That's his name, God with us. And that word with really becomes Jesus' signature word if you know much about his life or much about his ministry. The word with says a lot about Jesus. In the Bible, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we're told that Jesus takes this very motley crew of individuals, not formally trained religious experts or anything of the sort. We're talking about fishermen and tax collectors and political revolutionaries. And this is what it says about him. It says, Jesus appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him. How interesting a description is that? Not, not so that he could train them formally, but so that they might just be with him. There's that word. 
Now, later on, we're told that the religious authorities, the people that persecuted Jesus, resented Jesus, wanted Jesus out of the way, we're told that the religious authorities were astonished at the boldness of Jesus' followers because they were persecuting them. They wanted them to shut up, and they wouldn't, right? And uh, this is what we read. It says, now, when they, these religious authorities, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry again and again and again. You read it. See if it's not true. We find Jesus with beggars. And we find Jesus with lepers. And we find Jesus with Gentiles and with Samaritans and with prostitutes and with with enemy soldiers. I mean, Jesus' enemies even called Jesus the friend of sinners. And they meant that as an insult, not a compliment. But Jesus wore that like a badge of honor. So that little word you see, with, is very significant. It's kind of what got Jesus killed, actually. Because he kept hanging out with and teaching with and healing with and serving with and loving with the wrong people. Scandalous people. Needy people. Lonely people. People just like you and me. And the religious authorities hung Jesus on a cross for this. And Jesus died there. And quite honestly, that would have been the end of it all. We we would not be gathering here this afternoon, I guarantee you, had Jesus stayed dead. But he didn't. But that's another holiday, right? Three days later, he's resurrected. And again, in Matthew's gospel, at the very end of the gospel, after Jesus has come back from the dead, there's this little word with. It comes up yet again. And it's the last promise that Jesus makes to his friends. And this is what he says. He says, and behold, I am with you always. Always. To the end of the age. In other words, until he returns, he is with us. Now, some people read that and wonder, well, what exactly did Jesus mean? I mean, obviously, he can't be bodily with each and every one of us. What's he talking about? But we all know that being with someone is about much more than just being, you know, in physical proximity to them. In fact, some people can be physically at the same table, sharing the table with you, but their presence, their attention, their mind, their soul is a million, million miles away. And we've got a name for these people. Husbands. You know what Jesus meant when he made that promise about being with us? Uh, That now having, you know, become a human being, having been crucified, having paid for your sin and mine, having made it possible for us to actually be rejoined, reconciled to God, having been resurrected, come back from the dead, having made it possible for us to have eternal life and having having, uh, poured out his Holy Spirit upon us. You see, he can now therefore be present with anybody. Anywhere, at any time, his spirit is everywhere. (laughs) And it's not just that he can be with you. Understand, he wants to be with you. And that's the personal message of Christmas right there. Jesus wants to be with you and me. 
And he can be with us in our thoughts. He can be with us in the fun and the chaos on a Christmas morning. He can be with us navigating family dynamics. Are those ever interesting? Yeah, sure they are. He can be with us giving us perspective. He can be with us giving us wisdom, giving us patience, helping us love the people around us that can be sometimes difficult to love. Jesus can be with us when we go to work, when we go to school. Jesus can be with us in the midst of difficulties that overwhelm us, in the midst of processing pain we don't understand. Jesus can be with us in the midst of our hopes and in the midst of our dreams. He can even be with you through other people. And very often is. Here's the deal. The sustaining power of the unseen but real presence of God has for thousands of years made weak people strong and foolish people wise and fearful people courageous and bold and addicted people free and desperate people, hopeful. Down through the centuries, his presence has even made things like the deathbed, the place or the time where you die, not a place of defeat, but a place of triumph, a launching pad, if you will, going to someplace better. And that's simply the truth, and it's incredible. Now, it turns out too, friends, I think at least, that our loneliness is actually kind of a clue about who we are and why we're here. Just like the fact that we hunger and that indicates that we were made to eat, right? Or, or the fact that when you, you thirst, that's an indicator that you're made to drink. Well, likewise, I would say our loneliness indicates that we were made to be connected to God, to be with God. There's an old Beatles song. I don't know why I thought of this, but uh, this certainly dates me, an old Beatles song, Eleanor Rigby. Let's sing it together. Um, <laughs> now, there's a line in that song. There's a line in that song. It's a haunting, haunting line. All the lonely people, go ahead, finish it with me. Where do they all come from? Where do they all come from? Well, I'll tell you where they come from. They are people who live apart from this God that we're talking about, apart from his love. And so they don't know really, not really, who they are or why they're here. And friends, the good news of Christmas is you don't have to go through life that way. You do not. You can ask Jesus to be with you on this Christmas, in this moment, right now. And here's the thing, if you ask and you mean it, he will be, that I promise you. You know, making that kind of ask actually starts with the issue of forgiveness. And I'm one who believes that we all, not just you, we all need forgiveness. And we need lots of it for lots of different reasons. We, we haven't loved God, maybe even cared about God at all, or, or we certainly haven't acknowledged him as our maker. We're not grateful to him for all of the things he gives us, for when he gets us through difficult times. We haven't loved each other the way we should. 
There are lots of things we do we shouldn't do. There are lots of things we shouldn't do that we do do. Are you following me? (laughs) There is stuff in all of our lives that we would be so embarrassed of if we were somehow to put it up there on the screen. And the Bible calls all that stuff sin. It's not a fancy word. It's an old-fashioned word. It's a word that people make fun of. But it's really talking about all the brokenness in us that's very real and very close. The broken stuff, the ugly stuff, the hurtful stuff in us that makes us, in fact, actually alone. Makes us hide from each other. Makes us isolated. Makes us feel lonely. And most importantly, It separates us, it isolates us, all this sin from God himself. God is holy, God is righteous, God is good, good, good. And he wants to be with us, but this problem in us needs a solution. And God's solution to our problem was his son, Jesus. Jesus came and he came to die. He came to pay for our sins, the Bible says. And it's the greatest gift, this gift of forgiveness. It's the single greatest gift that anyone has ever given to anybody. The gift of grace, the gift of forgiveness. And it means a new and fresh start with God. And it means actually a lot more than that because when I am forgiven by God and I discover who I am and why I'm here, I can then do life a little better with you because I have new perspective, new wisdom, new clarity around my purpose and why I'm here. Now, I would just suggest to you that if you're here and some of what I'm talking about right now sounds new to you, but you're interested in it, well then keep listening because in a moment I'm gonna give you a chance if you want to invite God, to invite Jesus to be with you. But for a second, I wanna switch gears. I wanna talk to those of us who already are followers of Jesus And maybe you've known God for a long time or about him. But if you're being honest, you'd have to say, you know, I know about him, but boy, I'm not close to him. He doesn't feel close to me. Well, I would say we're back to the same forgiveness issue, you know. You need forgiveness too. And when we acknowledge that and own that and ask God to forgive us, here's the thing. He does. He will. He'll reestablish relationship with us because he wants to be with us. Now, before I close, I want to mention just one other with promise that Jesus made. It's actually pretty amazing. Matthew records also these words of Jesus. When Jesus said this, he said, for where two or three Gather in my name, that's us right here, right now, where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Now understand, friends, Jesus actually has a plan. It wasn't a perfect plan because it involves us, but he has a plan to address our problem of disconnectedness and aloneness and loneliness. And this And his plan is that those of us who follow him would actually work to create a community that really is kind of a family. A family that would embrace anybody who needs to be loved because bottom line, God hates it when somebody is sitting at a table by themselves in the corner of a cafeteria. 
very ironic to me that in our day, you may not be aware of this, but as nations modernize uh, agricultural methods, as science provides different kinds of cures and so forth, you know, do you know that things like poverty and illiteracy and disease, things like that are actually decreasing on a worldwide scale? But guess what? Loneliness is not. Loneliness is going up. There's a study done from the University of San Diego and it discovered that loneliness is a much, much bigger problem than the researchers ever imagined as they began this study. Uh, They found that three out of four people that they studied, so the three out of four people in the United States of America, they claim are now suffering from loneliness. Loneliness is epidemic, but not just in America. I, w- I was actually really surprised. Do you know that loneliness is so epidemic in Great Britain? Uh, some of you may have read about this, that the United, uh, United Kingdom has appointed a cabinet level government position called the Minister of Loneliness. How would you like that? Hi, I'm the Minister of Loneliness. You're like the death angel. You know, I'm not sure I want to shake your hand, but, but they have a Minister of Loneliness to address this, try to address this problem in the UK. It's interesting to me too, just another observation. There's a whole new field of treatment that has emerged in the uh, science of psychology and it's just pet therapy, right? It's pet therapy. Uh, And that is because numerous studies have shown that the presence of animal companions can lessen the pain that human beings feel, the pain of isolation. And so we buy dogs and cats and rabbits and goldfish and various kinds of animals to reduce our loneliness because we're lonely. Here's another thing I found out. I found out a lot of things. I think they're interesting. You may not, but uh, over the last 30 years, the number of Americans, the number of close friends that Americans have or claim to have has decreased by 50%. Think about that. So we have fewer people to talk to and fewer people to laugh with and fewer people to cry with when stuff happens where we need to cry. Now take that fact and combine it with the other fact and that is that life has a way of just beating the tar out of us, doesn't it? Kicking this to the wall. I mean, stuff happens in life all the time we can't explain. How, How and why do I have this disease? Why did that earthquake happen? Why did drought occur? Why the fire? Why did this loved one have to die? And a lot of times in the midst of that kind of stuff, we wonder where is God or is there a God when stuff like that happens? And those are good questions, actually. Those are honest questions. And I'll tell you what what we believe here. We believe that a church ought to be a place where anybody can come asking questions. Anybody can come with any kind of doubt and have a chance to learn together, have a chance to ask those questions, have a chance to wrestle and study and hopefully get some good answers to good questions. We actually uh, do something here at our church. Other churches do this too, or I'm sure we're not unique, but we have something called Christianity Explored, and it's just a, it's a group of people. They get together, they eat a meal, they open a book, the book of Mark, the gospel, and they ask questions. 
lots of questions, just in an effort to try to understand who Jesus claimed to be and what Jesus' life was like. And, and that's something that if, if that piques your interest, if you're, it's, not a, it's not something you come to where everybody gives you answers. It's something you come where you, you work with, alongside others to discover answers. That starts up in January, January 19th. But that kind of thing we believe is something we're supposed to do. Study and learn and question together. We believe that we exist as a family to be with God together. So nobody stands alone. Everybody's part of an extended family, a very imperfect family. And Jesus is right there in the midst of that family, and he happens to be the only perfect person in it. (laughs) Now, friends, that is the message of Christmas right there. I'm done. (laughs) You see, God and sinners reconciled. That's the message of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. God with you, if you want. If you want, you can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ just by asking him, just by talking to him, just by saying something like this. Now, I'm going to repeat these words a second time, but but just by saying something as simple as this, Jesus, would you forgive my past mistakes and sins, things I regret, my flaws, my brokenness, the messes I've made, Would you give me a new heart and a clean start? Would you please be my savior, my God, my leader, my friend? Would you, Jesus? Now, if God is working in your life or in your heart or in your mind at this moment, and when you heard me read those words, if you're thinking, that's a prayer I need to pray, then I want to invite you to do that with me here in just a second. And I want to assure you that if you pray that prayer, things are going to change for you. I don't mean everything's going to suddenly get better. I just mean you're going to, you're going to suddenly discover that there's a real God, a powerful God, and that God is with you, no matter your circumstances. And he wants to be with you. Now, let me repeat those words again. And if you're sensing it's a prayer you ought to pray, then I encourage you to do it. I'm going to ask everybody, though, to bow your heads, if you would. Here's that prayer again. Jesus, would you forgive my past mistakes and sins? Things I regret. My flaws, my brokenness, the messes I've made. And would you give me a new heart and a clean start? Would you please be my savior and my God, my leader and my friend? Jesus, would you be with me? Now, if you prayed that prayer, I would love, in fact, I would be honored to pray for you. Just a short prayer, but if you prayed that prayer, would you indicate that just by raising your hand right where you are? 
Everybody's head is bowed. Just raise your hand. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for everybody that just made that decision, just expressed that desire to be with you. Father, would you draw near to them? Would you be their teacher? Would you connect them to a place, a gathering, a family of people who follow you, a church where they can grow and grow and grow and continue to discover the joy of being spiritually alive with you? Amen. I'd like to pray for all of us as well. So... I'm going to ask you to bow again. That was an awkward moment, wasn't it? I should have just kept your heads bowed. But I want to end our time together in prayer. Let's, let's pray again. Jesus, I thank you that you are with us here. And I pray right now for every need of every person in this room. I pray for every broken heart, every empty heart. I pray for the life of every person, young or old, that you would be Emmanuel, God with us, to each and every one of us gathered here this afternoon. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name and ask that in this holy moment, you would receive now our worship and our wonder and our adoration and our praise. Please, Father, pour out upon us your blessing, your peace, your presence, your hope, your love. Thank you, Emmanuel. Amen.